Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We sometimes believe that certain people, times, and places are sources of trouble, and we tend to stay away from them. But we will discover in the story of Ruth that faith can lead us into these unexpected places and to these unexpected people. And if we live faithfully, God can accomplish his work through us. I remember when I was growing up, my parents shared with me a very important lesson that they wanted to teach me. And I don't know if it was because they were worried about maybe some of the people who I was beginning to hang out with, or it was just that time. But they began to share with me a lesson called guilty by association. Uh, Maybe you've taught your own kids that, or maybe you've heard this yourself, but the idea is this, is that if I am, I myself am out with people who do something wrong, or maybe out at the wrong time, or in the wrong place, and I am found in these places or times or with these folks, even though I might not be doing anything wrong, I might be implicated. In it. Now, again, I don't know exactly what my parents envisioned. Maybe they thought, uh, you know, underage drinking, or maybe it was something to do with uh, drugs, or maybe it was just that good old wisdom of be careful where you are and who you're with, because there are times when they might begin to do something wrong, and even if you don't do anything about it, you might find yourself in a situation you don't want to be into. You've probably lived in, in these same kind of ways. And this is where we get the, uh, the, uh, the old advice of don't be caught on maybe the wrong side of the tracks. Or, of course, nothing good happens after midnight, right? We have these idioms. We have these phrases that sort of, uh, you know, give us wisdom as we grow up and as we get older and all these different kinds of things. But sometimes... Sometimes these idioms, these perceptions of places and times and even people, if we only think of it in these terms of, you know, just don't stay away from it completely, we might begin to think that people and times and places are actually irredeemable, that actually good can't, can't happen at all in certain places or in certain times or with certain people. And that's a very interesting dynamic because we have a faith that God can work anywhere and in anyone and at any time. And that God can redeem anybody or anything, no matter how far God is. So this, this, these idioms, these wisdoms that we we sometimes grow up with can sometimes keep us from seeing how God might work. This is exactly the kind of situation that we are going to, to, to watch Ruth get herself into today. We have been in the book of Ruth, and Ruth, as we learned two weeks ago, is a model of faith. She's a very, well, it, it, it's odd that she's a, a model of faith, considering who she is and all these different kinds of things. And we've detailed all that in the past two weeks so if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we're going to continue on this story. You might feel a little lost as we read today and as we begin to, to talk through some certain features. So I encourage you, uh, go back two weeks, 
and or or the week before, whichever, you can listen to it on our podcast or you can watch it right here on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, either way, they're all available online and it's very easy to listen to them or, and get to be caught up. But in any case, Ruth is, is moving into a time where, uh, well, they got to do something about their life. They're, they have to do something because Naomi and Ruth came to came back to Naomi's homeland which is among Hebrews at the harvest time and the harvest time is when there is an abundance of food and so as we learned last week Ruth went and gleaned like normal foreigners did and she received the, the crop that she needed but however there's not going to be much crop in a few weeks in a few months and so Naomi today will sort of wake up from her, her grief. She, will, she begins to move out of her grief, and she begins to see that Ruth has been faithful to her, faithful in, in an extraordinary way. And as we've talked, faith is this open-eyed orientation to someone or something. And in particular, Ruth's faith isn't in God. It's actually in to, it's, it's actually to Naomi, and everything that she does is on behalf of her mother-in-law. Naomi notices this, and she begins to say, hey, oh my, uh, harvest is almost over, and this is great, you met this guy named Boaz, and we've been getting food from him and stuff like that, but we need, a, you, you need some more security. And so she's going to propose to Ruth a very interesting way of going about her security. Really interesting. In fact, some of us, as we begin to dig into this, will raise our eyebrows at it. It will be very similar to how we feel about certain sides or you know, certain places or certain times at night and things like that. Yeah, all of that is in this. It's, it's a bit, well, scandalous. It's a bit scandalous. And Ruth goes with it. Why does Ruth go with it? Because she is faithful. She trusts Naomi. She trusts everything that Naomi is about to send her into. And she probably has a little bit of a trust to the people who Naomi is sending Ruth to. And that faith will take her into a very interesting situation. And in this, you and I will begin to discover that faith, particularly faith in Christ, moves us into sometimes scandalous situations. So let's talk about this for a little bit. Uh, Ruth chapter three, that's where we are today. And uh, as, as we read this, I, I'm gonna share with you um, after we're done reading it, I'll share with you some of these what these, some of these things mean. Because again, uh, we are 21st century folks. Uh, this is a an ancient agricultural society, and we have very little in common uh, with their different customs and practices. So I'll, I'll bring it up to you here and things like that. So again, Ruth chapter three, starting with verse one. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I seek security for you so that things might go well for you? Now, isn't Boaz, whose young women you, you are with, our relative? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley 
at the threshing floor. You should bathe, put on some perfume, wear nice clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Ruth replied to her, I will do everything you are telling me. Faith, friends. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did everything just as her mother-in-law had ordered. Boaz ate and drank, and he was in, good, he was in a good mood. He went over to lie down by the edge of the grain pile, and then she quietly approached, uncovered his legs, and lay down. And during the middle of the night, the man shuddered and turned over. And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. It's dark. You can't really see. She replied, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread out your robe over your servant because you are a redeemer. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have acted even more faithfully than you did at first. You haven't gone after rich or poor young men. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you everything you are asking. Indeed, my people, all who are at the gate, know that you are a woman of worth. Now, although it's certainly true that I'm a redeemer, there's a redeemer who is a closer relative than I am. Stay the night, and in the morning, if he'll redeem you, good, let him redeem if he doesn't want to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I myself will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. And she got up before one person could recognize another, for he had said, no one should know that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the cloak that you have on and hold it out. She held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and placed it upon her. Then she went into town. She came to her mother-in-law who said, how are you, my daughter? So Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. And she said, he gave me these six measures of barley for he said to me, don't go away empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Sit tight, my daughter, Naomi replied, until you know how it turns out, the man won't rest until he resolves the matter today. Before we move into the scandalous part about this, you should understand something. When we read the words redeemer, what this is, is quite simply, when, when a woman would lose her husband, she could potentially be married by somebody else in the family. And so, in particular, Boaz is within the family, and he can be a redeemer. And so what he does is, with this proposal, uh, there's some... Uh, Jane Austen vibes going off here. Uh, this proposal, he says, wait a second, there's actually somebody who's closer to you, so he has to get his chance to redeem. Now, we, we, do, we don't live in this way. Um, in some ways, uh, this, is, this is actually pretty offensive to us in how they did marriage, but this was how marriage was done in the ancient world. Um, it wouldn't say it's entirely ethical, but it was very transactional oftentimes. But that's really what all of that was about. What Naomi sent Ruth to do was to propose of some sort. Now, she's not getting on a knee or anything like that, but rather the, the, the idea is for Ruth to have security beyond the harvest, and that would be through remarrying. But the circumstances around this proposal are pretty stinking scandalous 
Because you see, if you and I were reading this as ancient Jews, we would understand that the place and the time and how it looks, well, uh, let's just say, doesn't look very good. See, friends, basically Naomi says, hey, look good, smell good, go to the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor in this time was a celebration of sorts. Uh, many times at the threshing floor during the harvest, they would gather together and well, they would have fun. And um, yes, they might drink a little too much. And yes, hookups happened. There was some immorality that often happened at the threshing floor. And so for Naomi to suggest, hey, go see Boaz when he's happy at the threshing floor in the middle of the night and also look good and also smell good and all of these different kinds of things, we might begin to raise our eyebrows as to whether what is accounted for in Scripture happened like it did or something else happened, if you get my drift here. C.J. Childs writes this, Naomi knew that the threshing floor was the public place of celebration where parties got way out of hand and immorality abounded. Then throw in the repeated commentary to lay down, repeated instructions to make yourself look real good in every way, repeated instructions to wait for the man to finish eating, drink everything that he can and be asleep before you approach him to uncover his feet, which could be his feet or something else. And there are a number of interpreters that wonder if, is this really feet that we're talking about here? If you've never heard that before, I'm sorry, but scripture is full of these moments where you begin to raise your, really? Uh, this doesn't really fit the kind of virtues and the morality that we're taught in church. Are we sure something didn't bad happen here? Are we sure that they were all virtuous and righteous? Because our perceptions go towards something else, doesn't it? Maybe Ruth and Boaz didn't act so virtuous and righteous in this moment. Maybe they were a bit promiscuous. So, with that being said, with your eyebrows raised and wondering about this, how in the world does, what, what, what does this mean for faith? What does this mean? Because this is pretty radical. Well, I must say that perception does not equate to reality, first of all. And so what we are given is what we are given. And I think, quite honestly, the writer includes all of these details and uses specific kinds of words to try to be a little ambiguous. I don't think the writer is looking here to, to point, oh, look what they did. It's more of, there, it, this entire situation is a bit scandalous, and Ruth's faith to do all of this is not to get away with something, but rather truly to remain faithful to her mother-in-law. And as she puts herself out there in a very particular situation from a righteous place, 
Boaz could easily have gone another way with this as well. And so I don't think the writer writes all of this if it didn't happen like it did. Even if there is this, well, she got up though before everybody else got up, that seems pretty fishy. The perception is there, we get it. But I think that's intentional. It's intentional because, friends, circumstances and observations do not always mean <laughs> that that's reality. And let's really be honest. Not only is this particular part of the story scandalous, everything about this story is scandalous. I want you to think about this for a second. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite, a perennial enemy of Israelites, and she sticks with her Israelite mother-in-law? That's, that's crazy. That's, that's scandalous. But wait a minute. A Moabite was married to an Israelite. In that day and age, that was scandalous. It's through a Moabite immigrant that maybe an Israelite widow may be redeemed. That's crazy. That's scandalous. Friends, everything about Ruth goes against conventional social norms, all of those things. Some might say everything about the book of Ruth is inappropriate and not what I'm expecting at all. And that's the point. It's because a model of faith comes from a person who is the most unexpected to Israelites and that the faith leads even into conspicuous situations. And it's good. And she remains honorable, remains righteous, remains faithful. If you move forward in years, you know that Jesus' ministry was also scandalous. Jesus touched people who are unclean. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus had his feet washed by a woman who did not have a great uh, reputation about her. It is not lost on us that so much of the faith that Jesus displayed in his ministry and the faith that he gives to us and commands us to have is scandalous. As you go throughout the New Testament, the people who followed Jesus went to those who were never ever thought to be religious before. It was scandalous. And you and I are still called to that same kind of thing. Because you see, friends, the kingdom of God is different than what we often think to be socially acceptable, culturally acceptable, and yeah, even acceptable among religious folk. After all, maybe you grew up in a church like I did, and you don't go to certain places. And if you were seen at those places, you were automatically assumed to be partaking or doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Church of the Nazarene was notorious for, uh, at one point, uh, saying, 
don't even be found near a bar, or we assume that you are doing the worst things. But the reality is that God has given us new life and new ways of living and new mission and purpose. And that new way of life and that new mission, that new purpose leads us to places that maybe we would have never gone before or might be judged by others to be, well, not the place that you should be found at. Christ calls people into ministry who say, I could never live like this, or I could never go to a place like that, or I could never spend time with these kinds of people. Wrong side of the tracks, wrong time at night, the addicts, the sinners, those who struggle. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to be, friends. That is the kind of faith that he gives to us, that we can remain strong, that we can remain in right relationship with him and with our neighbor in any place and in any time and amongst any people. We're not afraid of the people around us who might be doing things that they shouldn't be doing. We live faithfully in the midst of that. That's exactly what Ruth does here. She trusts Naomi like we are to trust God to provide for us in this moment. And really, friends, if we're really called to go to the ends of the earth to sharing the good news of Christ, that means we go to the places that we've never been to or we would have seen as being a bad place before. Too many times... Church folks, once they begin to follow Jesus, begin to think, well, I don't go there anymore. You can go there unless it is a stumbling block for you to be tempted to do something. Like if you're a recovering alcoholic, no, your ministry probably isn't inside a bar. It might be immense amount of temptation. If you are struggling with, with different kinds of things, you don't go to or be around, but... At the same time, God's holiness changes us completely that we, we can at some point, hopefully, reach out to those who are struggling. I, I read this this week. Communication of God's love in the world depends on faithful human behavior. That God uses faithful human behavior to communicate God's love. Friends, the faithful behavior are the people who follow God. And so we must be willing to be faithful as God leads us into places and people and to circumstances that some might raise their eyebrows. That the threshing floor is not, I stay away from it. But if God leads us there, he will give us the strength to remain faithful to him and to share his good news with others. And we, as a faithful person, can do it. That's why I wanted to start off our service with Philip saying, can anything good, or Nathaniel saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yes, Jesus, the actual Messiah, came from Nazareth. Can anything good happen there? Nothing good happens after midnight. After midnight, Oh, that's the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, I wouldn't be caught dead there. All of it. 
All of those things are removed from our vocabulary as people of faith. All of it is removed because God is in those places and God leads us into such places to grow faith in the world around us. I was reminded as I thought about this sermon this week of an important moment in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. We recently watched it over Christmas time because you know we had some time and, and we did that. And one of the things is, is that if you've never read it before, uh, it, it's essentially about a hobbit. And for me to go into everything would just, it would just bore you to death. So just think about it this way. A hobbit is a homebody. Hobbits like, they're very comfortable in their home and they like their homes and all these different kinds of things. Well, one day, a wizard comes to a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. And this wizard asks him a few questions and Bilbo's a little skeptical and it's like, uh, what? Adventures? That, that, sounds, that sounds like trouble. I, no, I, I would not want to go adventure at all. And yet this wizard insists. And before you know it, an entire party of dwarfs shows up at, at Bilbo's home and they begin to eat his food. And Bilbo is very uncomfortable because all these people are just showing up and enjoying their food. They invite him to go on a journey, on an adventure. Yeah, that might probably consider to be trouble by most people. And he is necessary for this. As they go along, the leader of the group, Thorin, begins to doubt Bilbo's ability and Bilbo's, well, resolve. In fact, he openly says it in front of others and it makes Bilbo feel really terrible. But there's one part where they get separated. And Bilbo very easily could have just went home. But he doesn't. And his actions lead to them being in a safe place. Thorin asks him, how? Why would you come back here? You said you love all of this stuff back at home, that you are not this and you are not that. Why would you do anything for us? And Bilbo replies to him, look, I know you doubt me. I know you always have. And you're right. I often think of Bag End. I miss my books and my armchair and my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. And that's why I came back. Because you don't have one. A home. It was taken from you. But I will help you take it back if I can. And in this moment, you see Bilbo's presuppositions about dwarfs and adventures has completely been removed. And Thorin, his doubts about this hobbit completely melt away. They didn't think that they would actually be willing, that, that this would work out. They raised their eyebrows. This seems a little crazy. And yet, they would go further in their journey and become friends and see, and, and they, they finish their journey together. 
But if judgment would have remained, if the eyebrows would have remained raised, the journey wouldn't happen. And the same thing happens for us of people of faith. If our eyebrows remain raised about places or people or times, we will not be able to live faithfully in, into those places and those times and, and with those people. So we must let go of our presuppositions and our judgments and live faithfully to God as he leads us into those places, sharing the good news that he has brought through Jesus Christ. And when we live faithfully, when we let go of all of those judgments and things, God will work. We will grow in faith, and faith will grow around us. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you are inspired by this week's message. Because of the current pandemic, our services are limited to an online presence. You can join us on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org. Thank you.